Hey everybody, welcome to Drive Through Review 558. Today we're going to take a look at something a little bit different for this channel, and that is Frostgrave. Now Frostgrave is a book, and this book it came out in 2015. I've had it now for a few months, and have been slowly building slash playing slash painting slash assembling stuff for it. And I'm very excited to actually bring this review to you. And I don't like to spoil kind of the review up front, but you can probably tell us if I've gone to this extent, I probably am a little bit of a fan of the game. Now, what is this game? So this is a miniatures game slash role-playing game, at least from my perspective. Uh, what players will do, it's usually involving two players. I've only ever played it head-to-head. And you're going to take a wizard and an apprentice, and then you are going to assemble a warband of thieves and thugs and treasure hunters and soldiers and all kinds of ne'er-do-wells and go and try to explore a town that you create of Felstad. Now, Frostgrave all takes place in Felstad, and what is there is a now thawing town that has been frozen in kind of like an Ice Age type of scenario. It's now starting to thaw. You can actually get at uh, through the mountain pass to this ancient city of magic. And in the past, there was just, it was sort of the center of magic in this universe. And the wizards are now piqued their curiosity and they're going and hiring all of these folks to come and run in. And so you go and you try to gather treasure or play through possibly different scenarios. Uh, there is like a scenario generator. So you have to play through the exact sort of campaign in the book. Uh, but you go through and you try to collect, uh, your ultimate goal is to get lots of wealth and a new spells to learn. You start with eight spells, and then you can find scrolls and grimoires and get money and buy that stuff as well and hire new people for your warband and then go up in levels and experience and all that kind of stuff. So it definitely plays as a miniatures tabletop game with measuring for movement and you know rolling dice for combat and all that kind of good stuff. So first, let's jump into just the book, and we'll kind of walk through how you kind of set up your warband and all that kind of stuff. Go through the mechanics, which are really simple, really straightforward, and then talk a little bit kind of like your post-game, what you'll do in between games to kind of maintain uh, your warband and your levels, and also you create like sort of a little hideout or a base, and you get some buffs that way. And then what the real system really entails. So before we jump in too deep, let's just look at the rule book itself. Now the book cover price is $25, but you can certainly find that online cheaper. I've seen it even for $17 on uh, Amazon and stuff like that. So it's a relatively cheap investment if you just want to kind of get the feel of it and figure out if it's an investment worth your time and energy. And so the first thing you're going to do, let's just start very simple, is we're going to create a wizard. It talks here about building the tables, getting miniatures, and so on. but the first thing you do is you're going to create a wizard, and there are 10 schools of magic. So you've got chronomancer, illusionist, enchanter, all different types of wizards there. And these are going to be uh, akin to a certain school of magic. So the soothsayers here, who I've got these miniatures I made, or painted here, and these are going to have the soothsayer spells, and they'll get three of those to start. And then you've got other spells and things that you are sort of aligned to. So you can see they can more easily cast Thaumaturge, Chronomancy, and Illusionist. But all the way down here, the witch spells are kind of opposed to them. And so it's going to be very difficult for them to cast those. So you're going to choose a wizard and an apprentice. And so you want two models for that here. And, well, just as an example here, I described uh, my Necromancers here. This is the Sorcerer's Mini there from uh, Games Workshop. And here's the actual Necromancer Mini. Uh, from Games Workshop as well. Those other two were uh, Reaper Minis there. And so you're going to grab that, and you're going to take a look here. Now, all the wizards have the same sort of stat line here. 
So in terms of gameplay, you've got movement. This is the inches. This is the fight stat. You're going to add this to your rolls. This is the shoot stat. Wizards don't really have a shoot stat. And armor. And then this is willpower and then health or hit points. Now, all the rolls in this game, all of them, are going to be done with D20s. All you need is one D20 for one player and one for the other player. And away you go. Now, the apprentice is going to be basically the, a clone of the wizard, but with slightly reduced stats. So as your wizard levels up, your apprentice is automatically going to level up. And you're going to get like, so the fight is the wizard minus two. So at the start of the game, the fight of the apprentice is plus zero. I'll explain how, how those uh, statistics come into play. Now, the next thing you're going to do is you're going to need some miniatures here for the uh, warband itself. So you want soldiers, uh, man-at-arms, trackers, rangers, all this stuff. And you're going to get gold, and you're going to be able to buy, as, at the beginning, up to eight other uh, figures to put in. So you might grab a couple of these guys here. And I should say I will have a link here in the description for uh, how I went and put this together. Because you do kind of want miniatures to kind of look like their role. It's like she might be an infantryman or even a knight or something like that. And, you know, I've got some other here. Those were Reaper minis. Here's a couple of Games Workshop minis here. These are from Silver Tower. There's kind of a barbarian or thug-looking fella. Uh, this one is, you know, he could be a knight or a Templar or something like that. And, you know, we got here, here's another Reaper a gal here. She could be a ranger or something or just like a, a thug or something, anything. And then maybe these guys here, I took the onus of making uh, the folks here with these these books apothecaries here so he's more of a healer type so you're going to grab some of those and put those together and they have the similar stat lines but they have different stats based on who they are and everything and there are some different modifiers for weapons i'll talk about that more in a minute and then you're going to get at trying to set up the table and go into the mechanics and so on now there is available online some very useful uh, player aids. The company does allow them to be posted on BoardGameGeek. This is a nice example I got through uh, kind of what's called a Nick Starter, which is like a Kickstarter, which I'll talk about in a minute. But this is you can find this one online here. So you've got a wizard sheet here. You fill out its spells. Like I said, you get three your your base school and so on. Fill out your uh, stats and everything, and you can of course photocopy this or print out multiple copies, and then outline your soldiers and everything. And then on the back here, this is really what you need to know in the game. So the rules are very, very simple. So first thing you're going to do is have an initiative phase, followed by activating your wizard, then your apprentice, and then your soldiers. And if there's any kind of NPC creatures on the board, you activate those, those and then go from there. But what are you going to do to sort of prepare for the game? One thing for certain that you're going to need is terrain. And you don't necessarily have to build a 3D terrain. I have seen at uh, drive-through RPG and other places like that where you can get kind of uh, maps and print those out. If you had Descent, you could just use those tiles and kind of build sort of an underground layer. It doesn't have to all be above ground like this. So that would be 100% doable and perfectly uh, reasonable. You want to have a lot of obstruction though. That's really the key because in this game, you really want to have lots of blocking line of sight in little corners and things for people to crawl around in. If everything is too wide open, like if I just played on a flat table surface with maybe like, you know, one or two trees or something like that, the game is not going to be very fun. This game really calls for a lot of terrain, a lot of line of sight blocking really is the key. So you do need to know that. You don't have to go crazy like this, at least to start with. But I mean, this game, I'll say it again in the review portion, but if you have Descent, there's no reason you shouldn't just buy this book and and try the game out. I went through and, you know, so, you know, I, like, for example, I have here the Necromancer. He is the Necromancer miniature from Games Workshop. 
he obviously makes sense as a necromancer. But the game itself calls for several of these NPC creatures as well. You don't even have to use that. That's really an optional rule, but I actually think this is uh, recommended. So one thing here is I grab this guy from Shadows of Brimstone, and he counts as a large construct. He looks like he could be sort of a frosty, robotic, weird fantasy guy, you know, and I've got this... Uh, Exalted Flamer here, and this is, you know, this is a major demon possibly, or whatever. But another example that I took was for wild dogs and wolves. I didn't really have a lot of those. Whoops. And so I grabbed these, uh, what are these things called? Hell vermin or something like that in uh, Shadows of Brimstone. Oh, these are scourge rats. And so I just painted them different colors. So this one is the uh, the wild dog, and this one is the wolf there. And so you can just kind of create the game as you wish because it, it's miniature agnostic. It all, as long as the miniatures are the same scale and your train or whatever is in a scale that matches, you can play this with 15 millimeter miniatures. This is all 28. As long as everything is like cohesive as a whole, then you can certainly jump and play the game and really create your own world. Uh, you, I've seen online where, you know, people have created like desert, you know, themed areas and taken, uh, just some of the stats and things out of the book you know, sort of keep the similar balance and then, but rethemed it completely. Now zooming in a little bit here, after you've sort of set up your, your battlefield as it were, uh, the next thing you want to do is place out treasure tokens. Now it's going to vary depending on the scenario, uh, but you don't have to play specific scenarios. You can just do kind of generated ones. And then at that point, players will take turns putting out any tokens that they have uh, in various spots and put those out a certain distance from the edge of the battlefield. And then the object is to go and then pick these up and then carry these off the edge of the, of the field there. Now, I should say this particular table here is set up as a four by four. The game calls for a three foot by three foot, but you can definitely adjust your like deployment edges because you deploy along the edges of one of the boards and then, you know, measure where you can put the treasure and everything, but just adjust that based on the size of your battlefield. Now every round each player is going to roll their d20 and whoever rolls highest, in this case we have 14 to 4, then that is going to get the first initiative for the turn. And then you're going to go through, like I said, three activation phases. So maybe we'll activate here, uh, this side will activate their main wizard first. Now when you activate, you could have some of your soldiers and things around you uh, within a certain distance, depending on where you deployed, you usually want to kind of deploy maybe a little group with your main wizard, a little group with your apprentice, and so on. So once you activate, in this case, this wizard, any other uh, soldiers that were within three inches of the wizard there then could also move and activate and do their actions uh, when you activate that. So I'm going to activate my wizard, and my opponent will activate their main wizard, and then again, any soldiers uh, within a three inches will be able to move and activate as well. And then we'll go back and forth. So then now I can activate my apprentice and anybody within three inches of them can activate. And then we'll go back to the apprentice here. Now, if you have any soldiers that were maybe off on their own or you didn't actually activate, you know, through one of the other two phases, then you activate any of your soldiers left there. And then we'll go back to the other side. And then at that point, if there are any creatures on the board, and this is going to vary depending on uh, they can come out randomly during the game, or you maybe don't even play with creatures, although I would recommend it if you can. And or some scenarios, if you're playing specific scenarios, will have creatures on the board or cause them to come on the board through certain events. So on your turn, you get two 
actions. And if you do do two actions, uh, one of those has to be a movement, like you couldn't cast two spells. You've got to do a move and a spell, or just do the spell and not move. Now when you move, you can actually move twice, so you can use both movements for your action. Uh, when you do that though, then you're going to uh, do your second move for half of your movement value. So if this guy's movement here was, let's say, five inches there, then we would move up to here, and then we would then go another two and a half inches uh, so this guy's in the way, but so we can move up to there. Uh, so you can do that as kind of like a run. You could move a little bit further if you use both of those. And again, activating the wizard could activate all these guys as well to move along with that. Now you can also scale up terrain, but for every inch that you move up, it's going to eat up two inches of your movement. So it's going to take a ton of movement uh, for this barbarian fella here to get to the top and maybe try to get access to that treasure. Now you can sort of stop halfway in between. You know, players have to agree where they're at, maybe you know, they're climbing up here, so to say, okay, he's right here, and then you just leave the figure there at the base. And it's the same applies, let's say we had declared this as quote-unquote rough terrain, it would cost two inches to move uh, every one inch uh, in that terrain there. Now, if you do move by an enemy figure, and this is just a creature, so it doesn't have a choice, but if this was your opponent's figure, they would have a choice that if you were within one inch as you were moving by, they could force combat and then you would immediately have combat. A creature will automatically do that. And so now we can talk about how combat actually works. So in this case, each player will roll their d20, and in, ca in the case of a creature, uh, your opponent will roll it. And then you're gonna add your fight stat. Now in this case, the barbarian and this uh, snow troll here have uh, both a plus four. So we're just gonna have to roll that and say, he got a three and well, he got an 18. <laughs> so that is a huge difference and it's a good thing to point this out. So we're gonna each add a plus four to that. So obviously seven to 22, so he won. And then he's going to take his score now and subtract his armor from it. So we're going to ignore this now. He's won. He's going to take his, his ending score, subtract his armor. And he's got a armor of 10. And that will actually leave him at one health because he's got, or two health, I should say, since he's got 14 hit points. Uh, so this is a good example. Now, dice and combat in general is going to be a little bit swingy. Um, but, you know, it's going to happen that you also have very close combat and maybe, you know, you, you both roll really low. You know, maybe he rolled a six and, you know, he added 10 and so the armor would just do nothing to it even though he won the combat. Now, since he won combat, he can now push away, uh, this guy by an inch, uh, from him. So maybe you can get him out, out of combat. Now, if there are other folks there helping out, let's put a little soldier here, uh, like this. And maybe this was here and they were on the same team. Now, if this one is also within combat range there, this will actually add plus two to its fight stat, unless there is an enemy that is also uh, within that range there. So if she's engaged with somebody else, then she can't contribute uh, to their combat there. Now, ranged combat, just kind of zooming out a little bit, is very, very similar here. We'll take this archer and we're gonna put him, we'll tuck him back in here like that. And so you can see him, but we'll just pop him in there. And so maybe he's going to take a pot shot here at this little rat. And uh, he's going to roll his shoot stat. And the rat, or the opposing player, in that, whatever the case may be, is going to add their fight stat. So fight is defense and offense in terms of fighting. And defense, of course, for uh, rolling for range. So he rolled 11 to 17. I, don't, I didn't look up what their stats were. So if he, it's the same result. So if he would have had one, then we would apply... Uh, whatever the end number was here to uh, its armor. And there's also uh, rules for uh, modifying your shoot rolls uh, with the um, uh, with the archers, depending on how blocked, you know, of line of sight they are and so on. Now the next and of course the most interesting part is if we're going to now cast a spell. So maybe our soothsayer here is going to cast 
uh, some kind of elemental blast or something at, at one of these here. So what they're going to do there is they're going to look up their spell and they're going to roll towards a target number. So we haven't looked at any spells yet, so let's go ahead and look at that. Now what you see here, I've actually printed out, this actually comes in the back of the rule book, uh, but I printed these out as uh, player references, and uh, you can actually cut these up and put them in cards, but it's nice to have these out, because you can say, oh, what, what spell do you have? Because you may not have that you know, on your side, so you can take a look and see what they can do and stuff like that. Uh, but let's just take a look at an uh, example here, and this is the Necromancer, they have a bone dart. So you can see a couple things about uh, the spells here. One is the school that it belongs to, and the target number, and then some kind of requirement here. So this says uh, line of sight, and you may have other things here like uh, out of game. So these out of game ones you can cast before you start your game or after a game, but you only get one attempt at it. So for example, you could raise a zombie uh, to bring and deploy with your warband. Uh, and you still have this target numbers, of course. And so this is a target number of eight, so we're gonna enroll that. So we got a 19 there, so we got it, no big deal. Now if you don't meet that, then you can spend health points to sort of bump up and mitigate that dice roll to uh, make its effect here. And so this will be a shooting attack with a plus five shooting uh, on any figure in line of sight. Uh, if you fail by too much, you'll actually take damage from sort of the miscast. So if, if I rolled like a one here, I would take a one damage. If you fail by a lot, you know, if it's a harder spell, it's going to be a little bit more risky. It's like if you need a 20 or something like that to actually hit it, uh, then is the, you have the, you run the potential of maybe blowing it up and maybe blowing yourself up. So you definitely want to be careful, especially early on, about which of the spells you grab. Now the next thing is if you're here in contact with a treasure token, you can pick it up, but not if there is an enemy within the combat range there. But once you pick up the uh, treasure token, you're going to have your movement, and then you're also going to uh, reduce your fight stat uh, by one, and you can only carry one uh, treasure token per figure there at a time. And then the objective for that figure is to get off the board. Once they're off the board, uh, this figure's gone, it's no longer on the map, and then they've now collected that treasure, which we don't know what it is yet until after the game and we open it up and you know take a look and see how valuable it was. And like I said, after each player does their wizard and their apprentice and their soldier phase, you're going to activate um, any uh, creatures that are on the board. Now the creatures will come on the board either after you pick up, start picking up treasure, you're going to roll a die, and you're going to see uh, roll against the table then if you're successful, and certain creatures then will come on the board. And they're going to do start off probably moving randomly as they get on the board until they get line of sight and are within uh, 10 inches of, uh, of an opponent there. They're going to kind of wander around randomly, and then they're going to zero in on a target and chase them down. Oh, and speaking of line of sight, uh, spells typically don't have a uh, range. Um, and so they can, as long as you have line of sight, you can see them. Uh, range attacks usually have a range of 24 inches, so about, you know, two-thirds of the board. So pretty good range, but not infinite range. Now, the scenario will be over once all of the treasures are removed off the board or you wipe out uh, all of your opponent's uh, figures. At that point, you can then collect any treasures that were maybe still left on the board just instantly, and then the scenario will end. Of course, there are some scenarios in some of the books that uh, have the specific goals and things like that, too. Now, after this scenario is over, you're going to resolve uh, kind of the after-game effects, and that could entail injury and or death. <laughs> and let's just kind of walk through this pretty quickly here. Uh, so the Wizards and Apprentices, if they were quote-unquote killed or knocked out of the round, you're going to roll on this table here. And you could die if you roll a 1 or a 2. You could have uh, permanently injured. You could have badly wounded, which causes you to spend some money. Uh, you know, or you could have, you know, some 
nothing happens. Now, uh, the dead thing we'll talk about here at the end, but you can certainly house rule your wizard dying. Uh, there's some rules in here as written that I don't particularly play for, uh, but basically we have the apprentices take over and then we get a new apprentice and you've got to spend a little bit of extra gold out of your, your sort of war chest, but it's not like a permanent death and this effectively become uh, the, ma the apprentice becomes the master. So that just seems a little bit more fun. And you've got all these different permanent injuries that can happen. These are, these are of course fun and we play with these. Um, like you've got lost toes from the frostbite, you know, other different things like that that are pretty fun. Um, now for your uh, soldiers, then we're going to roll on, whoops, up here, and soldiers you can definitely lose, and we play with that. You just got to hire new soldiers. Uh, you basically, they, they live or they die, and that's all that happens there. Um, the soldiers, of course, don't level up at all. Now, you get experience for a number of different things. Let's just zoom in on that. So, for each spell successfully cast, you get plus 10. So, you're going to keep track of the spells that you actually successfully cast in the game. For each enemy soldier a wizard kills, you get 40. For each enemy apprentice, the wizard gets 80, and then for each enemy wizard, you get 150. So now that's the wizard killing whoever. It's not for the soldier's killing, and that's kind of nice because it gives you sort of, uh, well, all of these actually give you a, an impetus to actually use your spells and cast your spells and not just, you know, throw in all your knights and everything. Uh, now for each treasure token that you actually uh, pulled off the board there, then you're actually going to get 50 experience plus whatever's actually in the treasure. Now for every 100 points, uh, that you go up, you get to do one of three things. You can improve a stat, you can uh, improve a known spell, so make it easier to cast, uh, or you can learn a new spell. But you need to actually have found a spell, or a uh, grimoire in this case. Now the grimoires and the other spells and stuff are going to come here from your treasure. So whenever you, let's say you collected these three treasures here uh, at the end of the game, then you're going to roll a d20 three times for each of those, and then you're going to see what you get. So you might get some money, you might get a magic item, and there's stats for those in here. You might get scrolls and potions, you might get these grimoires, which is what you're really after. So as we go into here, there's different potions that you can use, and there's rules for uh, each, each person can carry like a little item on the side, so you can have healing and teleportation and other cool things like that. You can have scrolls, which are kind of like one-time casts of a spell, so you get to scroll and uh, we'll, we'll, uh, there's a table here uh, that tells you what uh, what spell you find. And so you can get a scroll and just cast it once, or you can get a grimoire, and then you can use one of your levels then to learn it. Here's the magic items and stuff. Let's see, is that in here somewhere? Uh, more items things. And these are all just, make. this is what really makes the game fun. Uh, you can buy new soldiers and stuff as they're as they're killed and sell stuff. You can sell grimoires you don't want it. You can buy specific grimoires. Uh, you can establish a base, and these are each time you can do uh, one uh, one base basically for your your whole warband. And each of these gives you a buff. Like the end gives you, uh, you can have one extra um, soldier in your group, or you can have a library, and each time you can roll a die. And you can possibly get a random uh, scroll or a grimoire out of that. And then you can you can buy extra kind of add-ons for your bases as well. Now you can change your base. There's there's an FAQ. Uh, the game doesn't really need an FAQ, but there's just some of those edge cases as well. Like eh, I want to change my base now. What do I do? You can change your base, for example, and then you, you lose its effect for that game. But any games after that, um, 
than you can use. How do you actually win the whole game? So you're going to play multiple scenarios. Well, this is sort of an optional rule. Uh, this one we actually use. This I think this is the only optional real rule we use. And you have transcendence. So once you've acquired all eight spells of your core school, then you can sort of try to transcend and become uh, like, you know, a grandmaster, soothsayer, or necromancer. And this gives you this little uh, process that you don't necessarily succeed at. Uh, you've got to sort of get a transcendence uh, scroll, or excuse me, grimoire, which is basically a duplicate of a spell that you already have in your full school of magic, and then try to transcend. Uh, so that gives everybody kind of a target goal. Uh, and, and here is a description of all the spells, but I already showed you that, um, this stuff here printed in the back. Um, and there's other supplements online that the company's been good about letting people post, so you can kind of browse through those and print out real fancy spell cards if you want. Uh, and this goes through some of the scenario setups. And now this can get where it gets a little bit of a barrier to entry because it wants specific terrain pieces. Now you can certainly use things as, uh, you know, like here's the mausoleum and I have this here. This is the Grand Moor, uh, excuse me, the Garden of Moor uh, from Games Workshop. And it comes with several pieces similar to this. And so you can just throw that out as a mausoleum. Uh, sometimes you want statues and things. Uh, so I got these, these are these Reaper statues. They're sort of oxidized looking. And uh, uh, so you can certainly kind of make things up as you go. I mean, you could throw down like a thing of scotch tape and say that's the mausoleum if you really wanted. But again, I also have all the link to all the stuff I'm as I've built it. So for some ideas, because that's part of the barrier as well as kind of part of the fun is kind of figuring out and building the whole world here. So there's some very specific uh, scenarios. Some are more like dungeons. So if you have like that Dwarven Forge, um, terrain that was really popular. And then you have here your bestiary as well. This I would certainly recommend. I don't think you necessarily have to do any of these scenarios, and I haven't done any of these scenarios actually. I know I have that piece, but if we've just been playing like the random scenario, that's perfectly fine. Uh, the bestiary I would invest some in. Uh, you know, they have rules for skeletons and all this stuff because it really adds a nice dynamic to the game. Uh, instead of just kind of, it's, it's almost a little bit zero sum without sort of that random chance of that. Not and I'm, I don't want to oversell that. The game is still really fun without these. But to me, it just kind of takes it to uh, the next level where you can have these really sometimes nasty creatures come in that live in this area and, uh, you know, try, try to mess with us as they, you know, they're trying to defending their, their home and habitat. Uh, but that's kind of the gist of all of it. You can see the rules itself are very simple and in terms of, you know, the play of it. Um, but there's really a lot to sort of explore in terms of building your wizard specifically, and then kind of hiring your warband and all that stuff is fun too. Okay, so that is Frostgrave. And I'm just gonna cut right to the chase. If I was gonna do my top 100 list, which I did last year, if I was to redo it, this would easily be in the top five, easily. This I, I'm so in love with this game right now. I mean, this is gonna be maybe the top two, you know, like this, I really love this game. Um, now, first of all, most of the folks watching my channel, you know, we, we, we all watch it for the board games and all that stuff. So this is kind of a step apart. It's a different world. Uh, you, and I certainly can appreciate being intimidated by the amount of sort of effort that would go into sort of constructing this. But like I said uh, during the walkthrough, if you've got a game like Descent or even like Shadows of Brimstone or something like that, there's nothing really stopping you from taking this book kind of mapping it to uh, what those universes are like, and then kind of using this as a rule set to kind of build up 
and create your war bands. You know, if you're doing Shadows of Brimstone, you could have like a cowboy and his apprentice and a little like a group of bandits that were with them. And you could have all the crazy creatures from Shadows of Brimstone. I used a bunch of Shadows of Brimstone stuff in here. Uh, if you had Descent, there's no reason you couldn't just, especially if you have a lot of Descent stuff, which, you know, some folks do, you can really just get this book. I mean, it's 17 bucks or so on Amazon every once in a while, and it's 25 bucks, uh, you know, uh, for the cover price, you can get this and just dive in and just throw in that world. You don't have to build up this big 3D thing. You could use those little underground tunnels and just build it like that and use tokens for treasure and away you go. Uh, and, or you could, you know, not get as nuts as I've been, but with this and, and just really play it. Now it's just, uh, there's, there's so much that happens for me when I play this game. Uh, it's just, it really transports me to a lot, a lot of things that, um, I've like I haven't really realized that I'd needed, but I think I need out of games. And the part one, a huge part of that is the role playing aspect of that. Uh, this it's so strong in this game, uh, and I know it's kind of a more of a miniature skirmish game. I guess would be the technical term for it, and it certainly has that. And in the in the skirmish tactical side is very interesting. I think, uh, but the level of role playing and kind of world building that can happen here, I mean, physically and like in your mind, uh, is awesome. It's fantastic. Uh, you know, I'm just going to kind of ramble here because it's, I'm just really very overwhelmed by it. Now they have done a lot to support the game just beyond the basic book. There is even a little book of short stories, which I've read a handful of, and it's very nice because the stuff in here actually sort of, uh, I think enhances my point about, you can really put this in any kind of setting that you want. Cause some of the stuff I read in here, I'm like, for some reason, I thought, oh, I'm going to read this and it's going to be like, this is like the one scenario. But no, these are just different things that would not really possibly ever happen on the tabletop. But it just gets your kind of creative juices flowing in terms of what that I can actually use. And like I said, I use some Brimstone stuff. I use some of the Warhammer stuff. I use a bunch of these random uh, Reaper Bones miniatures. Uh, so like in my head, what this is, this is actually set in the Warhammer world. This is uh, post-Age of Sigmar, it's you know, after these uh, big apocalypse, it's this kind of this long forgotten corner of a realm uh, where these different creatures are still, they've sort of escaped that madness of all the battle of chaos and order that happens in that universe now. And it's still kind of a little civilization tucked away so that I can kind of get away with using, you know, some of these Stormcast, Space Marine, Eternal guys and all that stuff that kind of wandered into this realm. And these guys have discovered it. So you can really, you know, you can really get in there and add your own type of thing. Like I mentioned during the walkthrough, I've seen online uh, where people have created like desert versions of this and uh, jungle versions just because that, that's what they had handy, you know? And so they really just kind of invested in that, kind of mapped some of the different creatures uh, to make a little bit more sense with that theme. And they've got these other supplements here. So they got three supplements that have come out and I think there's at least two more coming. And these are very sort of specific set in certain, um, you know, settings. There's Lich Lord, the Breeding Pits, and the Forgotten Packs one. I, I just got it. I haven't looked at it. Um, but the Breeding Pits one is very much like a dungeon crawl thing. So if you were doing like a descent thing, you could really kind of use that and focus on kind of those underground, uh, uh, you know, kind of caverns and everything. Now they do also have, uh, like I mentioned, there are these things called a Nick Starter. And so I backed the last Nick Starter. And that got me this Forgotten Packs, which is uh, all these uh, sort of uh, demon-worshipping barbarian kind of things. And I got a little pack here of these barbarian miniatures. So these are official Frostgrave uh, miniatures. 
uh, by uh, North Star Figures. And these are nice plastic ones. They do some metal ones too. Uh, but like if you wanted to just take your Descent stuff, you're like, you know what, I want some random soldiers. They have like a little pack of these for 20 soldiers that you can just kind of build out. Uh, so it's just a small little thing. So you can just kind of onesie twosie pick and choose and add your miniatures uh, very easily there. And these treasure tokens that I showed you during the walkthrough, those are from uh, North Star as well. Um, and you know, the second part I have to really say, and this is something that I don't know why it surprised me, it really shouldn't have, but the Frostgrave community online is like out of this world. It is amazing. It's just a great community. Um, specifically, and I'll put links to these, both of these, there's a leadadventure.de uh, site. Uh, that's huge. They've got their own Frostgrave forum. Very, very active. Folks are super helpful there. There's also a, a kind of official, I think it's sort of a semi-official Frostgrave uh, Facebook group and tons of members. I think there's like 6,000 members or something. And very, very uh, open and, you know, communicative and they sh everybody's sharing ideas. And this is what I did. I played a game yesterday and you see these different worlds that these people have created and they're very like helpful and just friendly and warm and open and I think really a big part of this game is that is that community um, sort of at large online uh, where people can just get together and share ideas and about what they constructed and like hey I built this little ruins here and I use this foam and, da -da -da. and you're like man I can do that I can build that honestly I think if it wasn't for that part of it which has nothing to do with the game at all you know, I don't know that I would really have gotten this far with the game, uh, just because you'd be kind of off on your own or way, you know, being reliant on a local shop. And none of the shops around here play Frostgrave. I think a couple of them carry some stuff, but I, there's no Frostgrave, Frostgrave games, uh, Frostgrave games going on around here at all. Um, so I think it's a fantastic thing. So if you want to like jump on those communities, and again, I'll have links there. Uh, you know, it's a beautiful thing, honestly. Um, but like getting back to it, talking about the sort of the tactical tactical mechanics of it, I've already talked about the RPG side of it, which is just bonkers amazing. Uh, you know, it's really cool because you have kind of these sort of this little wall of soldiers that you'll send in, maybe try to get them as uh, fodder. They'll try to grab the treasure and, you know, try to get out of there. And, and you try to maybe cast those spells to buff them up from the, uh, you know, the the range. And so it's got some real interesting things. And maybe go try to take out a wizard if they're really low on health or something. They get jacked up by some demon that walked on the board. So that, that kind of, th that kind of stuff can happen. And there's going to be a certain level of randomness because obviously you're rolling a d20s, which could be uh, very, very random. Uh, but I can, again, again, that kind of lends it to the, um, the role playing aspect. Uh, you know, you still have some tactics and all that stuff, but you have to go into this with, I think, the attitude of I'm not really kind of playing really a super highly strategic miniatures game. I'm going in this to playing this more like a and d campaign, uh, but with, you know, I'm controlling a war band. And getting back to that, like I said, the thing that was missing for me was I played a little bit of RPGs, you know, just recently and then a long time ago. And it's great and I love it, but I also like the competitive side of it. I like this sort of tactical, visceral kind of engagement with you know pieces and moving around and this really just marries those two things together for me i mean there's been some other games in the history that have been like that Mordheim and necromunda which i haven't played uh, dead zone does a good job of that um, but i think this one for me just kind of brings up the you know elicits all of this this crazy world building so it's almost like you are a dm 
in a way. Uh, and everybody's going to be a DM. You, you're like a DM and a player at the same time. Uh, because you kind of, you work in sort of concert with your opponent or opponents. You can play this with more than two, but I haven't. Um, to create the world, you kind of say, okay, we're going to set this up. Here's the train. This is where the treasure is going to be. We're going to play the scenario or not, you know, and then we're going to tell the story. It's not necessarily about 100% the tactics, even though that's there and it still kind of engages that, you know, left or right side of the brain. The other side of the brain is, is really engaged as well with kind of the creativity and the narrative side of it. Uh, you know, I can't recommend this enough. Like I said, you've really, if you've got like an, a boxed RPG or something, definitely take a look at this, get in and play it. It's really fun. Um, and like I said, they've been supporting it. They've got all these materials that are, have come out for it, still coming out for it. And, uh, <laughs> now that I've, I've been having so much fun with this one, and they go out and they freaking come out with Rogue Stars, which is basically like Frostgrave, but in space. Which, so it's kind of like Necromunda kind of thing versus Mordheim, which this is, this is like Mordheim. Rogue Stars is basically Necromunda. And I've been flipping through this and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is just, I'm going to use all my Dead Zone, Dead Zone stuff and just play this. And I'm going to use Dead Zone and Imperial Salt combined and play a game that's like in the outer rim of the Star Wars universe with these smugglers and, and bandits and bounty hunters and all that stuff uh, going back and forth. So I have a sort of a sneak peek review of this soon as well. Um, I haven't actually played this one yet. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, I love this game a bunch. It's really, really fun. And uh, you got to just check it out. I know it's gonna, I know the folks that watch my channel are like 90% of them are going to be like, nope, <laughs> that one is not for me because I got to do terrain and paint miniatures and all that stuff. But, but there's a, a few of you out there that maybe haven't given it a shot yet. And I would really invest in, and if you got a game group or uh, you know, maybe uh, a son that you can inflict this on or, you know, a couple of folks that you can just really play through uh, multiple, uh, you can start multiple war bands and stuff too, why not? And then uh, really this is just an amazing uh, experience. Thank you.